sing again. We are uh, going through a series, as uh, Travis was talking about, called Criticizing Jesus. And uh, we've been talking about um, the ways in which Jesus has been criticized and, uh, and the things that we can learn from that. And I'm so glad that you're here today. Um, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of maybe what situation you walked in here from, if you're new with us, um, we're glad that you're here. And if, and if you may be feeling a little bit out of place today, I don't care how long you've been coming. Um, if it's maybe your first time or you've been coming for a while, maybe you're worried that the church, quote, find out who you really are. <laughs> Let me just say, you are welcome here. You are welcome here, and, and we're, we're glad that you are here. And as we look at the criticisms of Jesus, you're going to see how that idea that I just talked about really relates to what we're looking at today, because Jesus went through a lot of criticisms. Um, he was criticized by religious leaders. He was criticized by his friends and his family. He was criticized by the government. Um, he was criticized in virtually every page of the Gospels. And we see him continuing to preach and teach and move forward with, uh, with being obedient to God and, and, and in growing the kingdom uh, through all of that. And we learn different things and different perspectives about his life and his ministry and about how people thought about him and saw him as well as the way in which he responded to those things. And so the criticisms he faced, though, as I've said every week, and I'm going to say it again, and you're going to see it in, a, in an amazing way today, they actually legitimize his ministry. They legitimize his ministry, and so we learn a lot about his priorities, his character, and how that applies to us. So are you, let me ask you this, are you hanging with the wrong people? Are you hanging out with the wrong people? And what does that really mean, the wrong people? We think that's uh, important because we do, whether you believe that or not, um, you know, whether you would say that out loud or not, we, we do believe that, that we think it's important to associate with the right people. We all maybe live a, a different level of that. But there's a lot of truth in that. And I know I certainly felt that way um, in, in high school. I felt that way in art school as well. Um, because like, here's Jay in high school. Jay is a band guy. I played trumpet, proudly. Um, I was art. I was in art and did all of that, the things with the art stuff. I was a Christian, still am. Um, I wasn't in an organized sport because I did martial arts. And so like, I was this poster child for go sit with the outcast, but I didn't even belong with them either because um, I was kind of all over the place. Art school, right? I go to art school. I, uh, I, I like sports. Um, I have my natural color hair. I have no piercings. I have no tattoos. I'm a Christian. I'm not a Buddhist or whatever or an atheist. Like it just, the, the list kept on going when I got to art school. And so it's, it's something that I can like relate to in a lot of ways. And we all remember lunch tables at school and, you know, they would sit with these people and all that kind of stuff. Aren't, isn't it nice to know that that's not the case anymore, right? Yeah, and all the students are like, I'm out of here. Um, yeah, that, unfortunately, that is still the case um, today, probably worse. Um, but you know what? As adults, I would say it actually is, is kind of worse in some ways. And here's why. There aren't nearly the amount of what we would perceive as consequences when you're an adult. You can just kind of do whatever, and make people feel however and go on about your business. When you're a student, it's not so much that. But for religious groups, for churches, 
there's a lot there as well. There's a lot there as well because one of the biggest knocks on churches or church groups is that I just don't feel like I belong idea. I've talked to many people who their past church experience is I wasn't welcome there because of X, Y, Z. I specifically remember a conversation with somebody who, quote, wasn't welcome because of their ripped jeans and tattoos. Praise God that wasn't here and that won't be here. Um, but that's the truth. Um, that that's how they felt and they felt unwelcome. And, and you know what? I don't hear that very often here um, at Connect Church. In fact, I rarely hear it. Most of the time I hear the opposite. There was somebody I was talking to just a few weeks ago who told me, and she meant it. She's like, this is literally the most welcoming and friendly church I've ever been to in my life. And she was 100% serious about it. She said, I've never felt so welcome. Like so many people said hi to me, like <laughs> to the point where she was like, I feel like everybody said hi to me. You know, and I'm like, good, praise God. You know, awesome. That's a great thing because that's a part of our culture. And that's a part of what we need to continue to build as our culture is that, that you are welcome here. Um, but you know what? I've heard the opposite. I've heard the opposite. And I'm sure I'll hear it again. You know why? Because we're people and we're messy and we're sinners. We don't always get it right. We're not always going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to blow it. I've blown it. I've heard it about me. And so we're going to, you know, not always do that right. But you know, different groups of people define who is okay differently. Um, but for religious groups, many times, they want to stay with the good people and avoid the bad people, however that is defined. And the same was true 2,000 years ago with Jesus. Um, as, as he walked this earth, there were people to be associated with and there were people to avoid based on you know, different people who had, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes who basically said, these are the people you hang out with and these are the people that you don't. And Jesus completely ignored those social norms, those social conventions. And you're gonna see that in a big, big way today. If you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in the book of Mark, Gospel of Mark chapter two. And you may be like, weren't we in Mark last week? Yeah, and we're gonna be in Mark next week, spoiler alert. Um, so we're basically gonna do the whole chapter, chapter two, just so you know. But in the book of Mark chapter two, we see a, um, an interesting story of Jesus living out this exact idea that I'm talking about here and being criticized for it. And I wanna start with just these two simple verses that you're not probably gonna initially see a whole lot here, but once I put it in context, you, you will. So let's read here, verse 13 and 14. It says, once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. That happened all the time. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now this is a big deal. This is a really big deal. It's also told in Matthew chapter nine, which was written by Levi, who's also Matthew, if you didn't know that. The context of this, Matthew is, uh, and what, what many would say is that that's the, um, that's the Greek name. Levi would be the Hebrew name. And there's some debate as to whether maybe Jesus changed his name to, to Matthew after the fact, similar to, to Peter or uh, Saul to Paul. But regardless, he was a Jew who collected money for Rome. He was a tax collector, but he was Jewish. He was basically considered a traitor by his own people. Considered a traitor by his own people. And so we maybe are quick to criticize 
but let's not be so much because you would be upset and confused too. You would probably be upset and confused as well. See, the Jewish people rightly considered these tax collectors traitors because they worked for the Roman government and they had the force of Roman soldiers behind them. So not only was he literally and figuratively standing there collecting tax from people, but he had Roman soldiers with him making sure it happened in the moment. And so the Jewish people, when they would see these tax collectors that were their own people, they wrote them off. They wrote them off a lot and and they, they outcast them because the Romans, they actually awarded the contract to the highest bidder. So they would find somebody who would collect taxes for them and get what Rome has promised or whatever that means and then they would keep the remainder. And so they would up the tax amount and you know they would overcharge and keep whatever they could. They would cheat any way they could. It was pure profit for them. And the people that they were taxing, it's not like they knew what the tax rate was. They couldn't just Google it and walk them and be like, dude, not the tax rate. You know what I mean? They couldn't do that. So they just had to take his word for it. And so when a Jew entered into this job, they were excommunicated and and outcast from their culture and from their society. They couldn't be uh, a witness in court. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. Um, In the eyes of the community, they were complete disgrace. And that actually extended to their family. So him taking this job also excommunicated his entire family whether they wanted to be or not. So the the way that this spread and and all of this, like in these couple of short verses, there's a whole lot of context that maybe you don't understand. But now that you do, you see the big deal of this. Right? Context is everything. And so who would that be today for you? Let me ask you that question to, to like... Take this personal for just a minute. Who can you think of in your life that maybe profits from exploiting others who have no choice? What does that look like for you? I want you to, (laughs) this is gonna sound funny, I want you to be judgmental for just a second. All right, you don't get asked that in church very often and you shouldn't. But who doesn't do everything the way that you think they should? We write them off, we don't associate with them, and they become the tax collectors and sinners in our life. See, Matthew was that guy. Matthew was that guy. And when Matthew followed Jesus, this was in some ways a bigger sacrifice than Peter, James, John, Andrew. See, those guys were fishermen. And so if this didn't work out, You know, when they decided to drop their nets and follow Jesus, big deal, don't get me wrong, huge, awesome, leap of faith, all those things. But in their mind, if this didn't work out, they could go back to fishing. Not Matthew. He's done. He's done. He couldn't go back to this. He couldn't go back to this at all. He left a a lucrative job, very lucrative job, a get-rich-quick job, and it puts him in a really tough spot because He was despised by his own people and now he's walking with the Messiah that his own people have been waiting for and I'm sure he felt beyond awkward 
be like on an island by himself in many ways, probably an outcast even within the disciples right at first, if you think about it, because these guys, like they didn't go to seminary and then Jesus was like, okay, now you can follow me. No, he took them like right off the boat and was like, we're gonna learn as we go. Come on, guys. And, and they went. They, so you gotta believe that these guys, they, they, they were still figuring all this out. This was a great lesson probably in and of itself within the disciples. I gotta imagine that was the case. But you know what? Jesus wanted that guy. Jesus wanted that guy because Jesus specializes, he specializes in using the despised and the rejected just like you and just like me. And I praise God for that. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here it comes, right? Here comes the criticism. A lot of scholars actually consider this dinner party, if you will, um, a bit of a going away party for Matthew because it says that he was, you know, a lot of tax collectors were, were sitting in with this meal. And you got to imagine that Matthew's only friends were probably tax collectors because nobody liked these guys. So it was like, well, everybody hates us, so let's hang out together. Um, But herein lies the scandal because Jesus was the friend of sinners right here. We see this. He's the friend of sinners. The sinners knew this. They knew this and they responded to Jesus. It says many that followed him. There were many who followed him from here. That's a pretty incredible thing. Jesus is sitting here having a meal with them, which was a sign of relationship and friendship and acceptance for them as people. Sitting down and having a meal with these people and inviting them in, this was a big deal for a rabbi. This was a big deal in this context. So question for you, where do you fit into the story? Where do you fit into that story there? See, the name Pharisee, that actually means separated ones. And they separated themselves from everything that they thought was unholy, from everything that they thought was unholy. And they thought everyone except themselves were separated from the love of God. And at its heart, the criticism that Jesus is facing here in this passage really is something like this, that a righteous person should know better than to spend time with someone so unrighteous or a good person should not be hanging out with someone like that to put it another way you may have even said this or heard somebody say this I wouldn't be caught dead with that person we've all maybe felt that see there was this exception and and this expectation of the church um that a righteous person, or at least of the religious leaders, not the church, but the religious leaders, that a righteous person, someone who does all the right things according to their understanding of God, that, that they wouldn't associate with someone who either intentionally or even ignorantly lived a life that was at odds with God. And so we see Jesus acting in a way that contradicts that worldview. And they're confused and they're critical. 
And in many ways, we might be too in that moment. But you need to understand where Jesus is coming from here. Back in World War II, Nazi-occupied Poland, the doctors that were there, they were not allowed to help the Jewish people. They were told they, they weren't allowed to. It's put them in a bind specifically because when you pursue a career to help the sick and now you're told you're not allowed, that's a problem. And so they either had to help sick Jewish people secretly or they had to lie about it. Or ignore the patient and not help him at all. And a Polish doctor actually uh, wrote this in his diary. He said, uh, so now we come to this. The main goal of every physician is to give medical help, but now it becomes a crime punishable by imprisonment. And that's awful, and we would all agree that that's awful. But the root of this, are we so different sometimes? Have we maybe treated somebody to that degree? And I know that that's, that's awful, but the, but the root of this here, have we treated somebody that way or seen somebody treated that way see a physician they heal the sick that's what they do unfortunately because of our our world and our critical spirit that attitude that we have toward other people who don't look like us who don't talk like us who don't act like us who don't whatever like us we reserve who should get treatment for only the cool kids. Look at Jesus' response here in verse 17. He says this, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus' response here, he's saying, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is why I'm here. This is Jesus' approach to sin. Something is wrong and the sinning person needs help, I'm gonna help them. And they won't change unless somebody comes to them to help them and to share the love of God with them. And in this passage, Jesus does that and he does it through friendship. At least that's where it begins. He does it through friendship and hanging out with them and sharing a meal with them. He helps them because that's who he is and that's what he does. He's the perfect doctor to heal us from our sin. He's the perfect doctor. Listen, he's always available. He's always available for us. He always has time for you. He doesn't just have to do a telehealth visit. He's always there, right? He's never too cool to sit at your table. He's always there for you. He always makes the perfect diagnosis. He diagnoses it so much better than even you or I could. He knows exactly what you need for whatever the issue is. In fact, he, he knows the real problem because we don't always see the real problem. We focus on the symptoms too much and Jesus knows how to go after the root cause. And he provides a complete cure. He provides a complete cure. He's not offering something that makes the symptoms subside and go away. We do that, which is why most of the time, the problems come back because we're treating the symptoms instead of treating the root cause. We're not treating the problem of sin and separation from God. We're treating maybe the behaviors instead of the other way around. 
He has the complete cure through eternal salvation and he even pays the doctor's fees. He does. You might be like, I don't know if my insurance is going to cover this. Trust me, Jesus will. He paid for it with the highest price it could ever be paid, his blood. His blood on the cross and you know what? He would have done it if it was just you. Even if it was just you, he still would have done it. He loves you this much and then some. As with other criticisms that Jesus faced, we have to ask ourselves, what does this tell us about the heart of God? And it's really clear that this tells us that God is a God of compassion. He is a God of compassion. And he cares so deep for everyone that he wants everyone to be well. He cares more about people's welfare than he does about our social conventions. Or in Jesus' case, what people might think of his actions. He cares more about the welfare of people than he does what people think. See, the sicker they are, the less worthy they may seem, the more they need help. We have a core value here at our church that says this, we believe all people matter to God and therefore matter to us. It's highlighted right there. It's one of our seven core values. All people matter to God and therefore matter to us. And in God's sight, all people, all means all, are precious to God. They were then, they are now, and they always will be. You are his favorite. They were precious enough to God for him to become human, for him to come to this earth, for him to face the criticism simply for hanging out with the less desirable people and the less desirable elements of society. We have an opportunity to do that and to be that in some ways this coming Saturday with our community missions team. If you didn't get the email, check your email. And if you want to get the email, talk to me and sign up for it. Our community missions team, we're actually feeding breakfast to the Garfield High School football team this coming Saturday morning. And if you want to be a part of that, we could use some help. And this is exactly what this is because we believe all people matter to God and therefore matter to us. Listen, I know the coach of that football team and this is an important thing for these students to make them feel and understand that that is true. That all people matter to God and therefore matter to us. This is an opportunity for the church to be the church. And we could use some more help. We could use some more donations for that. If you're available this coming Saturday morning, I'll be there. Uh, my wife will be there. And we've got a few other people talk to me. Talk to Sherry Kennedy. She's right down here. If, if you want to have, uh, have a part in that, we would love for you to join us and show these kids, show these students that they are loved through something very simple as a breakfast burrito. Matthew chapter 18, verse 14. Look at, what, look at what's written here. These are the words of Jesus. He says this in the same way. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That any of these little ones should perish. I gotta believe that Matthew, as he's writing his gospel, knowing his history, right? Knowing what, what he's come from and all of that, that when Jesus said this, I gotta believe he was like, yep, this is definitely going in. I gotta include this because this is me. This is me. 
This was an idea near and dear to his heart. It had to be. But you know what? Jesus loved you so much that just coming to this earth, just taking the criticism, just stepping into these moments, that wasn't enough. He cared so deeply about our welfare that he was willing to die. He went even further so that we could be fully accepted by God, fully forgiven and made righteous in the eyes of God through the blood curtain of Jesus. And not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. It's not because of anything that you can do. It's because of what Jesus did. And you know, I said that his criticisms actually legitimize his ministry. Well, our connection point actually is actually his criticism. That's Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I praise God for that. But let me personalize this because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Are you? Are you? Where do you land in this? This might be a tough message for you to hear. Depending on where, where you are. You may have felt marginalized your whole life. You may have felt that when you walked in this place today. I hope that's not the case. But you may have had that expectation when you walked in. I hope you don't when you leave. And I hope you don't right now. I hope you listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And I hope that you know that you're in a place where you're loved and you're welcome and you're accepted. I don't care where you came from this morning or last night or where you're going after this. Jesus loves you. He's a friend of sinners and that's everyone in this room and everyone watching online. See, Jesus spends time with the wrong people. And so should we. Now granted, there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. Just like with all, all principles of God's word, you can take it to the, to the nth degree. Some people are called to, to do maybe a little bit more in that vein, if you want to call it that, and some people aren't. But at the same time, listen, you were the wrong person at one point. You may feel like the wrong person right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, if you know for sure you have a relationship with Jesus right now, that means that at one point you were, quote, the wrong person. And somebody came to you with the love of Jesus and showed you that anyone and everyone is accepted at the foot of the cross. See, this story shows us that Jesus values everyone. That God values everyone everyone because his love for us it's 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 an individual kind of love and and that's awesome see your relationship with Jesus it's different than mine and it's different than the person next to you you know why because it's you and him yeah there are some similarities but you know what God is a personal God we have a personal relationship with him and that's so cool your relationship with him it's it's different it's individualized and that's great because he's so patient with us. Think about the love of God that is so patient with us, that's so patient with you. Are you as patient with you as God is with you? Would you be that patient, knowing you, because you know you? I wouldn't. He's so patient with me, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that he's a friend of this sinner and all sinners. And so the inevitable question we have to ask is, so am I 
Jesus to others. Heard this statement again this week. You know, you may be the only Jesus someone ever gets the chance to see. Think about that. There's a lot of weight in that. A lot of things that are important to us. What's more important than that? Yeah, I don't hear anybody pushing back on that one. His unconditional love, it is exactly that. Unconditional, no condition. It's unconditional love. I have this sign that's, uh, that, that's in my office. And I, I know I mentioned it before, but it says this. Love them where they are. Love them too much to let them stay there. That's how Jesus treats us. And I'm so grateful for that. He loves me where I am, but he loves me too much to let me stay there. You know why? Because all people matter to God and therefore matter to us. It's how he loves us. It's how he loves you. And if you never leaned into the arms of Jesus because you think you're not good enough, you think you're not the cool kid, you think you haven't sat at the right table, all of those things that the enemy likes to put in your mind and make you think that you're unworthy, let me tell you, Jesus says the complete opposite. And this is a place where you are at the cool table right now. You are loved, you are welcomed, you are accepted. Will you bow your heads? You know, we've got, uh, we've got people around the room, as, uh, as Trav talked about, that have yellow lanyards on that, that would love to pray with you. Love to show you in God's word how you can have a relationship with him, how you can know that you are loved and accepted and that you will be with him in heaven forever. But maybe you just need prayer about something else. Maybe you're feeling that whole unworthiness thing that a lot of people feel today. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you or just a shoulder to cry on. We're here, here for that. We love you. And we're so glad that you're here. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your love. We are so grateful that you came after that person. Father, we've all been the wrong person at one time or another. We may feel that even right now. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would push away the enemy who is telling us that right now, that you would push him aside in the power of Jesus and that you would remind us how much we are loved by you Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you as Savior, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would know that they would get that right, that maybe they could even get baptized next week. What an amazing thing that would be. God, I pray that if, uh, Lord, that, that this idea would, would walk with us out these doors, that if we have an opportunity this week to show your love to somebody, to, to show the, the love and acceptance of Jesus, in just our day-to-day, -day, God, help us to take advantage of those opportunities because they, they're there all the time. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time that we've been able to come together and worship you and praise you and learn about you. And God, I thank you that you are a friend to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.